Hello and welcome to a new English edition of my podcast Helium Talk, das Kunstgespräch. My name is Jörg Heikos and my guest today is Jonathan Levine from the Jonathan Levine Gallery in New Jersey. Firstly, if you hear any birds or bees or the wind in the trees, it's because I'm recording this intro outdoors far up in the north of Germany. All right, so Jonathan and I have been talking a bunch of times already on my podcast. This is the sixth time we got together long distance. So it really is developing into a sub-show of the main show or even a format on its own. This is why the logo looks a bit different and why we call our ongoing conversation about the art world from now on Off the Record with Jonathan Levine. Are we on the record or off the record? This is, this is off the record. This is all off the record. We both speak very openly about our experiences in our business and, well, reveal things that I'm sure a lot of other players in the market would rather not see discussed out in the open, like in these special episodes of the Helium Talk podcast. But that is what makes these shows special, I think. The feedback we are receiving so far proves that we're on a good track here with this, as it seems to be appreciated that we do not just picture the art world as beautiful. Especially the last show with Jonathan was a pretty strong one, in my humble opinion. Haven't had the time to listen to it yet? Well, it's a good thing then, that with this medium you can always go back and listen to all the previous shows. And while I think that all our conversations have been good and often radically genuine, I can highly recommend that last one, which is probably also a bit more entertaining, because I turned it into some kind of a radio show in post-production with music by Jonathan and me. Well, enough praise for our toughness, it is really not the point. We just like to share and be honest about it. For this new episode, we decided to focus on one topic and we keep it short and sweet. We speak about the pricing of artwork because that is a question that comes up very often. As always, if you have a question of your own or want to give us feedback, no matter if you like the show or hate what we're saying, let us know by sending me an email to hello at heliumtalk.com or go into my Instagram with the easy handle at heliumcowboy and drop me a message and I will discuss it with Jonathan. Please do not send messages on Facebook. I feel it's not relevant anymore and in an attempt to preserve a good portion of my time to things that are, I hardly ever go to the blue kraken of social media to check. And sorry again for the recent overload of German language episodes. It is summertime. I'm in the countryside on the farm up north, or in Cowboyland as I lovingly call it, and so there are less opportunities to record and produce new shows right now. But I got all my equipment with me, so let's see what comes up. And trust me, I'll do my best to entertain in both languages in the future as well. But for now, have a great day you all, and enjoy this episode of the Helium Talk special Off the Record with Jonathan Levine, Part 6. That was wonderful. Um, so, yeah, life. Okay. But yeah. uh, this is all off the record, of course. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've spoken like 15 minutes about things we cannot, um, we don't want people to hear, we're still pretty blunt. I like the, let's just start this now. I like what I liked a lot about uh, our last podcast, not just that it took me a day to for in post production, <laughs> but that was really, really well received and that people really, um, like and i will always want to say admire the the openness that we're you know sort of speaking with about a business that where everybody tries to look good and nobody actually says it's 
fucked at many levels. You right. Know? I mean, right. So, and we still both both love the art world, and, and, and we're uh, still basically we're, we're still in it. You know, we're just we're still in it. We're yeah. fighting the good fight, but it's really challenging. And, yeah. and God bless you if it isn't challenging for you. There are some people that it's not challenging for, but I imagine can't imagine it is for most. So, so now we've thought about that. We have you know sort of like shorter shorter talks, yeah. um, and then we talk about topics that <clears throat> might be interesting for for people out there. Uh, we, we pinpointed one that's that's always like a question, not just from g g people visiting the gallery, but also from artists, especially younger artists, and that is how to price artwork. Yes, how do you price artwork? I think that's an interesting question, a very interesting question. So I would ask you, because I have my way that I do it, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering how you assess it. How do you assess uh, I guess it would, there's a couple of different things where this issue will come up. Yeah. Um, sometimes it'll be like you were showing an ex an artist and they have a strong market already. So that they've kind of developed or they've worked with a bunch of galleries and they've developed. So there's kind of a set price and sometimes mm -hmm. that, that work will come in and you'll be like, it's selling really well. And you're like, that works too, is really expensive. I'm surprised it's doing yeah. so well and it makes you a little nervous or you have an artist come in who's doing really well, but you think that the prices are a little bit too low. So mm -hmm. those are like the two different than that situation. Then there's a situation of the kind of like, I don't want to say the emerging artist because more like the artist who's been around, but they really haven't had the opportunity to get in front of the right audience. And so you sort of have to figure out their pricing. Um, based on not really a sales record and you have to come up with pricing that's going to be satisfactory for the artist, satisfactory for you, but also is going to make it such that if people are new to the artist that they're willing to spend the money to try to, to buy a piece without really there being sort of a proven track record for that artist. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things I think about. Yeah, I think if if it's an if it's an artist who has already an established market and has his prices, it's usually quite easy. I mean, we we still have to take into consideration if you know, so there's a conversion rate and different taxes in different countries. Um, but generally, you know, if you take that aside, uh, if somebody comes in and he says, "Well, my," I mean, do you work with factors as well? Like my factor is like thirty five, and then you, then you, then you can actually expand the price uh, according to the size of the artwork, which also not always have works because what if it's three dimensional or sculpture and things like that. But so that's a lot, that's, that's happening a lot in Germany, actually working with a factor. I don't even, um, I've never heard of that before. Work, no? Working with a factor. Oh, you take the, you take the length and the, uh, uh, oh. and the width of the work and, uh, and in centimeters. And then you, um, uh, uh, it's basically that, uh, multiplied with a factor is the price for the artworks, but just in, you know, so like depending on the, you know, so sort of just uh, uh, referencing to the, to the, referring to the sizes. So like if you're a 10 by 10 centimeter work, then you can use that factor to calculate the 10 by 10 centimeter equally as the 100 by 100 centimeters. But, um, just, but there's like a couple of, a couple of bunch of artists in Germany come and say, oh, oh yeah, this is my factor. And uh, then you can actually calculate the prices accordingly. Um, Can I interrupt but, interject? Yeah, sure. Yes, we mm -hmm. do do that. We just don't call it factor. We don't use that term factor. 
Okay. We just, you know, I call it a price comparison. It's basically like, okay. you know, what paintings are, you figure out an average, you know, like yeah. price inch, square inch price. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, it's not an exact science. And that's another a different <laughs> no. conversation. So it's okay. not an exact science. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> I just, I just wanted to know whether we, that's okay. So that's yes, we, we do do that. We do do that. Yeah. And I think that's an important topic to talk about because if you if you have an artist who um say comes in and this always happens right so you have an artist who comes and let's pick an established artist Mm -hmm. and let's just say like an 18 by 24 inch painting or i don't know what that is in centimeters is five thousand dollars and you know i don't know what 36 by 40 painting is ten thousand dollars Mm-hmm. And, and maybe there's two sizes that they make a lot of, but then there's like, there'll be, I mean, it really depends how that artist work. Maybe they have one really big one. Now what happens is two things, how much work is in each painting? Like you could mm-hmm. have a giant painting that there's not a lot of work in. Uh, you could have a giant painting that there's a ton of work in. You could have a small painting. There's not a lot of work in not very labor intensive. And then you can have a small painting with labor intensive. So a lot of times mm-hmm. you have to take that into consideration. Like, well, this painting clearly somebody, that artist worked much harder and longer on it. So you have two exact size paintings, but you may ask more for one than for the other. It's not always about it's this size. So it costs this much money. Yeah. And then the other thing is what I'd say is as pieces typically get larger, they get cheaper per square inch or per square centimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, they don't necessarily, mm-hmm. if you use the, like, you know what, they're, they're more expensive, the smaller they are, and they're less expensive, the bigger they are in general. But, but that's, that's often probably then in the end, there's a lot of experience and feeling <laughs> involved in, into where to set the price tag on those, but that actually takes us, that's, we're actually already one step ahead. Um, you were basically you were basically asking you know sort of how I go on about it and I think I'll go on about it similar as you if there's an artist who's established who's got a name who's got a price tag then uh, it's it's fairly easy you know just go basically with also when other galleries have already had the price you can't go lower than them or necessarily higher than That's them right. I mean, um, uh, and uh, and then if you have, a, a say, a young artist who starts out, I think that's the most interesting bit when you're like really in your very early career and it's the first times you exhibit and you probably have exhibited at, uh, I don't know, at, at, at smaller venues, not necessarily galleries. And then you come work with a gallery who actually needs to set a price. And sometimes you come into the position as a gallery that you're the first to actually, you know, sort of, you know, say what, what this is worth um, together with the artist. And I think... In the in the very beginning, for me, it's it's a lot about um, intuition and does that feel right? It's not about mm, if I sell ten paintings from your show tonight, then I'll get my money back. I think with you with young artists when you start out, I never calculate to get my money back at all. Um, that's a huge risk to work with young artists, but I I calculate it in a way that I think uh, this is the value of the work that I think it's what it's worth. Um, it's not exaggerated. It has a lot of breathing room. To the top above, you know, it's there's no use in making a young artist so super expensive that nobody buys his work and nobody's interested in buying his work in right. the beginning, the early right. stages. 
Uh, because then you basically you just you just just burn the burn the ground for this person, you know, um, just out of greed or I don't know, being super confident that you can sell those works. So I always try to find a find a find a, a decent way. But then again, of course, if that's an artist that's already exhibiting like in a gallery like mine, there's already value to it, you know. So and that makes it for me a lot easier to set a price for a younger artist because I say I'm not selling artwork or I'm not selling an artist below this value because otherwise I would not choose have chosen to show him or her. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I, I think is really interesting is we're talking about this in a little bit more of a general way, but Mm -hmm. one thing I always think about is, so sometimes I have artists who make really flat and graphic work and maybe they make that work really quickly. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. people like Tim Biscop, Gary Baseman, Mm -hmm. Shag, um, but a lot of times when they, you know, you would think, oh, they can whip that stuff out. And some of them can, mm-hmm. and some of them can't. So that's one thing to look at. And then you have artists who do this sort of really labor intensive work, like, you know, people who are more uh, photorealistic, you know, figurative. And, you know, so like someone like Gary Baseman or Shag or Gary Texali, they could whip out, you know, 60 paintings in a year, like mm-hmm. maybe more depends on the yeah. artist. Right. Um, it really depends on there. Cause I was thinking about Gary Baseman, Gary Baseman, when he's getting ready for a show has a tendency to, he, he makes a lot of work and he kind of overproduces, but that's part of his process. So he may make the same paint, a similar painting and be like, kind of like the same painting with slight changes in it like three times, but that's part of his process. doesn't mean he needs to show it, but it's part of his process. That's interestingly how he works. Um, you know, someone like shag, he makes exactly what he's going to make. And I don't, he doesn't really overproduce. Um, so, and I think it could be the same for Tim Biscup, but I'm not really sure. could be the same for Gary Taxali, but I'm not really sure. But then you have somebody like, I don't know, Mark Ryden at the extreme or Todd Shore yeah. or uh, Eric, Eric White. say Eric White, Todd Shore, Mark Ryden, people like this, whose work is really, really labor intensive. Now, you'll have – so here are two examples of different kind of artists who have established markets. So then you have a younger artist come in who's doing something similar. Well – and you know they don't have a, they they don't have a market. So I some I find that there's like if somebody comes in and they're doing sort of more flat graphic work that they can create relatively quickly. You say you have two new artists and one another one who is doing more photorealistic work. You can almost always ask for more money for the photorealistic work because you can um, mm-hmm. people get that there's like X amount of hours that have been put into it. So you know maybe you're asking five, $6,000 for, you know, uh, a painting that's, I don't know, 24 by 36 by someone who does a photorealist painting. And then the same size painting by someone who does like a flat graphic work, maybe you're asking 2,500. And, and again, it's all comes down to being able to justify the amount of labor that goes into it when it's a new artist and people get that. You know what? There are a lot of artists that, you know, completely, you know, don't fall into that at all. Somebody like cause who can make work really quickly. His work is going for as a living artist, like some of the most 
money that artists can, you know work can go for. Um, I know, but but I'm I'm not sure. I mean, yes, I think it's 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 an important aspect to see how much work goes in there. But at the end of the day, that's not what people pay the price for. Um, and it doesn't doesn't really matter. I mean, my work is super time intensive and uh, and uh, at times, you know, and then I have some works that go easier and and, and quicker and they basically still have uh, uh, in, the, in the same price range uh, in a way. Oh, I understand um, that. I understand so, that. But you have to look at it from like somebody, I'm talking specifically about yeah. an emerging artist and trying to price mm -hmm. their work. And also mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you may have spent yeah, sure. a ton of mm -hmm. time on your painting but mm -hmm. it doesn't look like it to the person who's buying it. And yep. you're like, well, the artist put a ton of, now you may be able to get every so often a buyer who's willing to, to pay a premium, but you know, they're going to look at the, if you're most collectors, not all collectors are going to look. And if they're experienced collectors, they're going to look at the pricing. And I, I find, I always found they did, maybe you didn't and be like, why is this one so much more money than this one? And blah, blah, blah. And you know, they're going to be like, that's not a good deal. Um, mm -hmm. and they're not going to buy it because the pricing seems off from the rest of it. Mm -hmm. That's anyway, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, I think the discussion about the price is also just on, uh, on, on the, on the, on the, the earliest stages and then probably on the mid career stages. I think once you have an artist, like, I mean, talking about cost, there's no limits to what he can actually, you know, sort of achieve in regards to prices. Um, and uh, and then, but if you are, I think it's very important for 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 younger galleries and younger artists to really take into consideration the future progress of of an artist in relation to the prices on 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 the on the on, on the canvas. Um, look, at, you know, remember the time when 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 the first the time when uh, I think two thousand seven around two thousand seven two thousand eight when the or six seven eight when the when the urban art started to emerge as a as a must buy uh, a product on art fairs and stuff like that and there that's a time when when artists like Shepard Ferry and and also I don't know look at Miss Van their prices skyrocketed and you couldn't actually you know sort of for me it was impossible to show them because in Germany there was no market for it nobody would buy these works but then you know sort of a year later it was over to end of 2008 2009 people were still paying premium for someone like Shepard Fair because he was already a little bit more um more uh, uh, well known and uh, and 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 advanced in and on, on on a client level but and uh, but a lot of the other artists that had just started to make a lot of money because people were starting raising prices like crazy um they uh they they sat there and they couldn't sell one more work because the market was was gone and so you have to always as if you make prices you always have to look at what is the artist's market and who will actually in the end buy these works and if you just if you have a student show for students think about them and think about them them having jobs maybe in the future but not right now you know so what is the environment we're showing this art in and is that an is that an option for an, for an artist um in the long term, because initially, basically, what you want is that you have an artist that has prices that he can slowly raise throughout his career or establish at a point where he can live off of it. You know, it's not necessarily steady. You know, so it's not a hockey stick; it always goes up. You know, um, and uh, uh, so, so I think these are all things that have to come into consideration when you think think about prices. With as an example, we have a. Um, we have a young artist that I'm representing with a gallery, gallery Jens Rausch, and when when I first showed him, he had he had started to sell his work, but he had 
not really established a price. Fortunately, it was sort of very considerate and people really liked the work and it's very time consuming and, and intensive what he's doing and people started buying. But quickly we decided to, you know, sort of we have to make, we have to raise prices because he will not be able to continue to work this way if all his work is always sold out. Um, or sells really quickly, it has nothing to show and always has to produce at the same price, it, it's not very helpful for him. So we raised them just a tiny little bit so it kind of fit better into the frame. So there's a lot of, well, you have to be very, <clears throat> I think, considerate and careful with uh, with with these things. Um, whereas sometimes people just raise the prices because they're now showing in a great gallery and will they ever show again in that great gallery? You know, what happens when they come to a different market? What about being famous in the United States and being not at all known in Germany? Will your prices work then? You know, things like that. And um, and I think making prices is not very easy in the beginning, especially, or, you know, sort of after, I mean, we're not talking about the baby steps of an artist. We're talking about artists that actually come to a gallery with a good name that already, that has a market. I mean, so I wanted to, client. you know, there's a couple of things that you were saying that kind of triggered me because mm-hmm. uh, as a whole, I found that, you know, you and I, have, for the most part, have dealt with mid-career artists and we've mm-hmm. helped merging artists become mid-career artists. Now, it is very hard to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like people will peak and then like, they'll be hot for a moment and then they'll be mm-hmm. hot for a while. And then maybe people, they, they, there was a, a max amount of collector base that wanted to buy their work and you, they always have to continually approach it differently. It's no guarantee that it's going to keep going on. Now you used an example of Shepard Ferry and Miss Van. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're good in, uh, good examples because two things. Uh, Shepard Ferry is like a, a brand. He is like, he's got like 20 people that work for him and he puts out lots of work, but also he's, but in 2006, even at 2006 and I was working with him mm-hmm. a lot and he had been around, he had been out there way more, but like in terms of his long-term market right now, mm-hmm. and I deal in his work a lot, quite frankly, in secondary market, the thing about his work and he produces a lot. And I also worked with Miss Van. He Mm -hmm. produces a lot, but the thing with him is he's had all these museum shows, like important museum shows. He's been written up in like by important art critics. He's continually is in at a next level. So (laughs) that's supporting his price. He's also getting way more press, et cetera. There's so many things. Someone like Miss Van. Now you're right. When things, when the whole street art thing started coming, you know, started to blow up, there was only a hand, there wasn't a ton of street artists like there are now. Mm -hmm. There was a minimal amount. So what was out there and people started collecting it, anybody who was out there kind of did really well. People who weren't really not particularly good were doing really well. And we don't even hear about them anymore. Someone like Miss Van, who I think um, has had a pretty, you know, she definitely had a part, you know, her work was affordable. People would buy it. Personally, when I'm selling, I sell to people all over the world. So I don't really have this geographical sort of like limitation in terms Mm -hmm. of sales. Um, so, you know, I'd sell to her collectors in France or England or whatever, and, you know, American collectors. So as her prices went up to a certain point, you know, she sustained for quite a while. And it also would just depend on the body of the work she was making. But I think with the oversaturation of the market, um, she, you know, she, I think she's making beautiful work, but I don't, she's not one of, you know, a dozen artists. She's now one of thousands of artists. And so it's hard and there's lots of people who maybe like do something similar to her and collectors don't really know. Mm-hmm. 
and she sort of hasn't had she's done pretty well you know but she hasn't on the level of shepherd ferris she hasn't been showing at the ica no, no, in no, austin no. and things like that so those are i the was using here yeah, yeah, I know that there's there. I know I don't understand this difference. I just was using her as an example because I know that when 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 everybody was starting to raise the prices, she was one of the artists. I mean, I'm I've been working at that time with one of her best friends, Boris Hoppeck, right. together, and we both decided, even though Boris' work was, you know, was killing it, people were buying it left, right, and center. And Boris and I, we sat down. We said, should we should we start raising prices? Should we actually go for your canvases from the five thousand or six thousand that they cost now, which we both thought is a lot because. In regards to the time that he spends, I mean, he's pretty quick on those. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we could sell them really, really, really well. And we thought, you know, we could, of course, in the market right now, we could go and sell them for 20, 25,000 euros. And no problem. We had a couple of clients, clients who were able and were willing to pay that money. Um, we decided against it. And, and, and Ms. Van and the gallery said she was working with, they were deciding to make it work expensive. Um, and more expensive, and and then when the when the crisis came and the financial markets uh, broke, and then the market had uh, kind of got consolidated at time, that time. That was not a time of oversaturation. It was just a time of consolidation because, you know, sort of people were with money were orienting themselves to other collectibles like cars and books and I don't know, but not necessarily art anymore. She was one that fell a little bit out of the radar, you know, sort of she fell a little bit out of it. And and she had difficulties at that time, you know, sort of selling work because her work was expensive. Um and 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 that that's just an example. I mean, and she, I think, I think she she coped with it very 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 well. And I like her uh, the the turn her career's her career made and and the work she's doing she's doing now. So it's not it's not about putting anything on her. I was just using her as an example in comparison to someone like Shepard Ferry who managed to sustain it and build upon it and can keep be one of the people that were still sought after. There were other artists that actually you know sort of had high prices that they now could not actually afford to have it. And then if there's one thing, if there's one thing, one of the very few rules in pricing artworks is that if you have set a price for an artist, you cannot go and lower it. I mean, maybe on a on a sale or something, but not in a in a general that you say, okay, this artist was now his cameras are were hundred thousand, but you know, market is bad. So now they're only fifty thousand. And maybe in five years they were hundred thousand again. But so this is what you cannot well, do. Well there's there's gray area there. I'd say there's a gray area there, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um and it's something I'm dealing with on a regular basis. And I want to say one thing, Shepard Ferry is an anomaly. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say Miss Van is more like, her market is more like a lot of the other artists that I worked with. Um, you know, and I don't want to pick, I'm not trying to pick on her. I love her. She's great. No, no, she's going to kill her. Kill us if we continue this, yeah, man. She makes I mean, amazing you. You know, I mean, there's like, you know, I just want to put that out there. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of same exact, all most of her peers went through the same thing. I want to put that out there. Most of her peers, um, and um, so that's what I'll say. I could give you a list of names, but I'm not going to do that. You know, but most of her peers. I, I would say that happened to most of the artists that I work with. I'm going to put that out as a blanket statement. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, hence it was you know diff business was difficult. So because a, a couple things happened. A people. There's a there is with everything. It's all about like how much you can get of something. And when an artist starts to do well, most of the time they don't really understand like the laws of supply and demand and how that's going to affect them. And the day they're a, they're selling a product, you have to look mm -hmm. at it that way. And once they get to a point where if it's really easy to get and people can get it, 
then it starts to become less desirable. And also the higher the price comes, goes up, it also becomes less desirable. To stay, sustain a long-term career is virtually, it's really challenging. If an artist has a 10-year career where they're doing really well, that's actually super successful. So like most of the artists that I work with have been super successful. Now everyone's still getting by, but not in the same way. And it, you know, you're right. The prices go up and I'll, I'll talk about different kinds of artists. And a lot of times their dealers are involved in that and really pushing that. Now, one of the things that an artist can do to change that is to work with a different dealer and lower the mm -hmm. prices. Now, people may get mad about that. And that's always a gray area. But the artist has to make a living and people have to understand that. And I personally never tell people I never sell art as an investment. So, you know, I was always really careful about that because I knew a lot of dealers are running around like asking stupid prices and we could have got more money for stuff for a short window of time. But it was never about those. It was about the artist taking responsibility, having some level of feeling responsible for their career and being like, hey, don't get greedy. You want this to last for a while. You want this to, to last as long as it can. And hopefully enough of the lucky things will happen to you with like, you know, being in this museum show, getting a, a solo museum show, getting the right critic to write about you. I mean, ultimately, end of the day, they, an artist has to constantly be having thing, those things happen mm -hmm. in order to sustain their career. There are people who do not necessarily, there are artists that like can work outside of that as well, um, out of that structure, but most of them can't. So where was I going with this? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really hard to make generalizations and it, I think it's really hard for an artist to have a long-term career, but ultimately when artists are successful and you and I both work with mostly successful artists, there would be a peak and, you know, you people kind of get, they're getting like a lot of like press and, you know, you, everyone starts to believe in the hype and, and then it goes away because these days, you know, people are, so we've talked about this in our past you know, um, podcasts, you know, people are always on to the next new thing, the next new thing, the next new thing. It's the same with any other cultural thing we're talking about could be music as well. It's not specific mm -hmm. to the visual arts. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's pricing is challenging. You know, my, my, and any artist who's been in the game for a while knows that the key to longevity is being kind of conservative. I mean, I think about some artists that I've worked with who get decent money for their paintings they would love to get more, but they know that's maybe not realistic without all the, the other stuff they need to, in mm -hmm. order to do that, like be at auction. And they basically have to be at a, be, be with a bigger blue chip gallery, which there are not a lot of, have serious financial backing, have um, you know critics loving them, being shown at the right museums, et cetera, et cetera. And even that doesn't necessarily mean that their, their career is going to sustain. It's very precarious keeping your prices at a certain point, you have to just constantly be out there hustling, mm -hmm. hustling, hustling. So, I have, yeah, I have, a, I've, um, I found out, found that, uh, in, in recent times, there is actually, um, a, a lot of artists that, you know, have gotten, you know, well-known, I won't say famous because who's famous. Um, it's gotten well-known in certain scenes uh, recently and, and as exhibiting with, with, with more and more galleries. It's a topic that we also had that there's like no actually real connection to one or two galleries anymore. It's like a lot of galleries and the prices are always different. Prices are 
always different depending on the markets depending i mean i i have I've one artist that I'm showing here, and one that's also shown by my Danish gallery that represents me, and also this artist. And then he's got a bunch of galleries in the United States and in France, and basically all over the place. And uh, on Artsy, not all of the galleries name the prices, but um, uh, most of them do. And the prices they vary for like a, a, a normal uh, size, a mid-sized painting. Uh, between two and a half and and four thousand uh, dollars or euros, you know, so it's a big gap in between those things, and 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 I think that is a confusion that <clears throat> that is maybe because there's there's no real people don't see really actually a need to 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 make a, a certain price. I always find it very con con confusing. I think uh, that you know what I'd say interject. I think that's bad business practice. Super um, bad business. So yeah. I mean, as a whole, any artist that I work with. You know, I, my whole thing was always about stabilizing pricing, like, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes that would mean you have to take on these artists that you thought their prices were too high, but at the time they were doing well. So you would sell their work, but you also knew that maybe a year from now that wasn't going to work. And I could, that did happen with a lot of artists that I work with. And yeah. I, again, I won't say their names and they have to figure out a lot of those people just end up disappearing or they do less or they have to reestablish themselves in some other way. They have to reestablish their prices. Um, because, you know, I think it's, I don't know if it's an artist thing. I think it's human nature that when you start to do really well, you start to, you know, basically drink, mm -hmm. drink your own Kool-Aid, as we like to say, you know, that saying, no, nope. that means like, you kind of like start to believe in your own bullshit or believe, okay. believe in your own. And, and I think that's just human nature. And when, you know, artists are there, they're out there, they're trying to, like, the whole thing is to be recognized and for what they're doing. And so when it finally starts to happen, they're like, I knew it inside of them. There's the ego. It's like, I, I'm meant for greatness. And everyone's <laughs> blowing smoke up their asses. We like to say other dealers, people who are able to make, be able to make money off of them, etc. And most of them, the people that they're working with, uh, they're not, it's not that they're unscrupulous. It's just that they themselves sometimes they're unscrupulous and sometimes they just don't have enough experience themselves and they they're buying into the hype. And, you know, when it all falls apart, you know, those people can just like go on to the next thing. And the artist is kind of stuck with choices. Mm -hmm. um, they stuck with like, you know, I overprice things, but you, you can reassess your pricing. You can re bring it back to a, a reasonable level. Yeah, sure. Collectors are going to get pissed off and this, that, and the other thing, but that's the nature of it. If you're buying work for, if you're buying, if you expect to buy artwork and it to be this great investment all the time, you know, you're, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And if you are doing it, then you know that there's risks involved and some things are going to go up and some things aren't. It's like buying stocks. You have a whole bunch of stocks. Some go up, some go down. It's risky. So if you're approaching it that way, you know, that that's, you have to accept the responsibility of, of that. Mm -hmm. That's in regards to collector and, you know, artists, you know, you have to have a lot of experience to start to really understand these things. And experience has nothing to do with your age. It has to do with, you know, you could be coming into your own and you're in your 30s or 40s and, you know, making lots of mistakes. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, just, you can make mistakes at any point in your life um, if you don't have an experience in that area. So, yeah. So, but did we, did we, um, did we go deep enough into the topic of pricing? Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's, a, it's a it's it's a huge topic, but it's also, I think, um, 
yeah, it's a lot of common sense, but also like, yeah, what you just said something nice, bad business, good business. You always have to think about, you know, sort of the business for yourself and the artist. Yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act. And, you know, truthfully, we're talking about this in a somewhat general way. It's very specific to each artist. And so it is kind of hard to generalize it um, because it's really specific to each artist. But that hopefully gives people a little bit of a view into it and our perspective on it. Um, it's obviously something we can discuss more in the future if people are interested. Um, but I think we we... we I think we talked about it fairly in depthly in a short amount of time. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think so too. Anything else we should uh, address today? I mean, you know, I said that we want to make a short one this time. It's summertime. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be sending this when I'm in the countryside. Um, what are your plans for summer? You're taking some time off, or you're working, or? Uh, well, you know, it's good. I, I'm hoping I'm going to take some time off. I have a tendency to like when the summer comes to kind of, even if I would wanted to work through the whole summer immediately I fall into this sort of like half work mode. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to go to the beach a lot this mm -hmm. summer. Um, and I'm off to, I'm going to go to Portland in a couple of weeks to visit some friends. So Portland, Oregon. Right. So that's pretty much for me, nothing super exciting this summer. I don't have like this nice house out in the country that I get to run off to mm -hmm. <laughs> like, somebody, <laughs> like somebody I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cowboy land. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. All right, Jonathan. Um, let's um, let's think about new uh, topics, ideas we can talk about. A again, as always, if uh, people listen to this and they are interested in anything, we, we love to talk about those things. You just have to write us. Um, uh, I I'll say the, the email in the, in the introduction of this podcast, uh, as usual, and uh, it's also in the show notes of, of the podcast. Um, but, you know, sort of like next time we can get a little bit more uh, off the record again um, when we speak. Yes, sir. Uh, but for now, goodbye, man. Choose. Do you have problems with it? Issues? No, no, just with just when I talk to you.